today I want to talk about race, sex, sexual preference, things like that, because I mentioned it yesterday. And as long as I'm talking about myself, as people keep asking about, I got to talk about everything. I mentioned the race of the people who mugged me and assaulted me and my friends and who punched me in the jaw yesterday in yesterday's post. It may have sounded unnecessary, which I suppose would raise questions as to why I mentioned it at all if it wasn't really necessary. I mean, some people might hear, ah, Josh mentioned that they were black and he was white. He's racist. So I wanted to clarify why I brought it up. Well, mainly because people keep bringing up with me race, sex, and things like that when I'm talking to them about environmental things. I recognize talking about race and sex and sexual preference is a minefield outside of a few platitude in this country, especially if you're one of the groups, the widely regarded as oppressed group. White people who talk about race keep losing their jobs. Maybe talking about it will bring me down before I even reach being well-known. I'm not sure. But I just have to accept that if it brings me down, if talking about it without just saying the platitudes that everyone talks about brings me down, makes me attacked or something like that, then that's what's going to bring me down. But as it stands, people keep using preconceived notions to stop hearing me, as I'll describe in a second. So what have I got to lose? And I certainly don't have all the answers. I'm more than happy for people to fill me in on what I'm missing. I expect this to be a learning experience. You know, let me know what I'm missing. But I think there's some really important stuff to get across here, mainly because changing culture to change billions of people's environmental beliefs and behaviors means people collaborating across all divisions. So we have to figure out how to overcome these preconceived notions so that people can work together, even when the person that they're working with doesn't fit their whatever way of dividing people, skin color or sexual preference or sex or something like that. Some examples of how this happens. The most recent and very clear one was that I was organizing a panel a little, uh, a few months ago, and someone refused to participate in the panel because this person looked at the panel and said, this is in New York City and you're going to have five white people only. How could you not have diversity among that group? Now, first, I agree. Lack of diversity in communications, in, in group working together, studies show that you're not going to get the outcome that you could. And skin color can be a proxy for diversity in viewpoints, diversity in, in experiences, but not necessarily. We could get five different people with five unique skin colors and not get viewpoint diversity. And he didn't ask anything about were there other types of diversity in this group at all. He just looked at one aspect, skin color, and stopped at that point. This person didn't ask about what type of diversity was already there. Of, of course, I'm in situations where if I'm the only one with a certain skin color in a group of all people with a different skin color, then I think to myself, hmm, I wonder if they get something about me or maybe they don't get something about me. Or the same thing could happen about sex or things like that. Anyway, that's one example where someone just looked at, just said everyone with a certain skin color, the, I don't want to work with them because of that. I'm not saying there's something wrong with that. I'm just saying it happened. A much more common thing that happens is that people keep telling me, I, I invite people over for my famous no packaging vegetable stew a lot. To me, it's very accessible. I've, from the start, I've made it something very accessible. It's something easy to make, even if you live in a food desert, even if you don't have a whole lot of money, even if you have very little time, especially if you live in a food desert and have very little time or money. And people keep telling me that I don't understand. The one that they use most is a single mother in a food desert working three jobs. Now, to some extent, no, I don't understand what it's like to be a single mother living in a food desert, taking care of uh, multiple kids with three jobs, because I'm not that. Well, to some extent, I don't because I'm not one, but not one person who has said that to me has themselves been something like that 
they haven't fit their own description. And so they themselves don't know, but they act like they know something that I don't and somehow that I don't know. And that what I don't know somehow, of course, I don't know lots of things. No one person knows everything about any other one person, but somehow this prevents them from hearing what I'm talking about or imagining what, how what I could do could help or even acting on what I'm doing. They just dismiss what I'm talking about. Another common one is that I talk about not flying and people consistently say that my not flying is privileged. Now, I've worked through why I think that they say that, why they would say that, you know, humans flying was once reserved. The idea of flying, except for birds and insects and bats, that that was once reserved for the gods. And now people have no idea how a jet engine works or how a wing produces, produces lift. They say that they are not privileged. So something about me, they think I'm privileged for not being able to do that. Another common one is that they often suggest that I have special access to food. Now, yeah, I'm pretty close to the Union Square food market, so I have access to a food market with fresh vegetables, and that's a big part of my diet. But somehow they use this to stop them from changing their food behavior. Like they don't say, oh, I also have access to these things, and maybe I'll also stop getting takeout. So for all these things which tells me that they aren't thinking. It tells me that there's something about me is getting them to say this. Is it my sex? Is it my skin color? I'm not sure. But people consistently call me privileged that I don't understand. They don't get across that they understand me. It comes off as rather condescending. No one has ever said, hey, Josh, tell me about the time that you were mugged at knife point. Did, you know, talk about that privilege. Some people listening to me, hopefully not you, I'm not sure, but some people have preconceived notions that they will never change. I was watching a documentary recently on Evergreen State College in, I think it was 2017, where many people were saying that anyone born white is racist and there's nothing they can do about it. Oh, not something you can help about. That's just the way it is. So I'm not going to try to engage people with such fixed views. If you're someone like that, Probably best not to listen to the rest of this. You'll probably get angry at me and get mad at me, but maybe you'll find some ammunition to cancel me, I guess is the term of art these days. Once a student in one of my leadership, you know, I teach leadership class, and I mention my top leadership role models all the time. And the top ones are that I've studied a fair amount, Gandhi, Mandela, Martin Luther King. I often use those examples, especially in when we're talking about authentic voice and speaking authentically. I speak a lot about Muhammad Ali and Charles Barkley. Eventually, I often talk about Thoreau. I've studied him a lot. And I'll talk sometimes about Eisenhower, but I've, I've really not studied him much. But among the people living, Oprah is almost always the one I mentioned first. Anyway, so the student, after mentioning all these, all these people, said, all your examples are white men. Now, let me go through this list again. Gandhi, Mandela, Martin Luther King, Muhammad Ali, Charles Barkley, sometimes Thoreau, and Oprah Winfrey. And the student says, all my examples are white men. I don't know where this comes from. You know, speaking of the single moms and the living in the food deserts, I did once recently meet, and I recorded a podcast with her, so it's not posted yet, but I was at a lunch and the person next to me, turns out she was a single mom who lives in the Bronx. So not the biggest food desert ever, but somewhat of a food desert. And the more we spoke, well, I got around to inviting her over to have some of my famous no-packaging vegetable stew. You'll get to hear from her exactly how she felt about it when I eventually post it. But she said she loved it. She really enjoyed 
seeing new ways to cook and how she wanted to bring this more. And she invited me to come up to the Bronx to help teach people there how to do what I do because she thought it would add to their lives. And then there's another woman in Brooklyn who she's now out of the food desert, but she grew up in a food desert. And she hasn't come over yet to try the stew, but she seemed very interested in learning more. So I think people are out of touch with the difference between their experience and mine. No one has asked me what it's like to have someone threaten you with a wrench in your face or a large rock or to have your bike stolen multiple times or to live in a neighborhood where they give out welfare food freely because nearly everyone there is on welfare, which is at least part of the time I grew up. That's how I grew up part of the time. And there's lots of things like that. And look at any of my activities. Accessibility has been critical since service and leadership gained importance well over a decade ago. Fitness. I spent not one penny on all the burpees. People who know me know that I've done approaching 150,000 burpees and a lot of body weight exercises connected with that. Now I have bought some weights, but I spent on the burpees and body weight exercises. I've not spent one penny on all of them. In over a decade, I've spent maybe something like $100 on kettlebells and about $500 on a rowing machine, which I got used off of Craigslist. And that's about it. Now, I spend, another, I spend 30 minutes a day on the calisthenics, on the bodyweight stuff, uh, with the kettlebells, a little, 30 minutes a day on that, and another 30 minutes on other exercises. So that's roughly an hour a day I spent on, fit, an hour a day I spent on fitness. And over the course of 10 years, that's something like $600. The average American watches five hours of TV a day. I'm saving time and money. I mean, I guess I could do, if I just stuck with only bodyweight stuff, I wouldn't really need the rowing machine. So I'm getting some benefit from it, but I'm really below average, way below. I mean, this stuff is pretty accessible. So where does this drive for accessibility come from? I could go to Equinox. I can buy fast food, but I don't. Where does that motivation come from? From my experience. But no one asks about that. They just, you know, there's something else that they see in me that's not that experience. Anyway, back to my mentioning race. A racist might conclude that skin color determines behavior. That maybe that's why I said it. Maybe Josh is saying the skin color of, of his assailants because he considers that that's what's motivating them. But that's not why I mention it. I presume that anyone in the same circumstances would behave roughly the same if skin colors were changed, but the circumstances were the same. I think people would behave pretty much the same because we seem to share the same emotional motivational system, just different environments. But I do note that in today's world, and as far as I can tell all of human history, people with different physical attributes like skin color, sex, whom they're attracted to, physical size, things like that, that they've grouped themselves differently, producing different behaviors. And separation between the groups, that's a problem if you want to collaborate across seven plus billion people. How do we get over these differences? As best I can tell, people look at me and figure, blue eyes, fair skin, fit, straight. He probably doesn't understand suffering. He's never suffered for his skin color, sex, fitness, or sexual preferences. It occurred to me recently that people might think that the Ivy League degrees mean privilege, which I confirmed by asking some people, and that they said, yeah, it does sound like that. Maybe it's on me for not sharing that I got punched in broad daylight coming home from school one day. Another time I saw a friend of mine get mugged. I could go on about these stories. Maybe it's on me for not having shared these things. So I mentioned the skin color of the people who mugged and assaulted me. I don't know how else to put it. I was suffering, and it seemed like I'd been picked out for my skin color. I spent years of my life as a racial minority, and one, without, one not in power, Certainly as far as a child could tell. My point is not to win in any oppression Olympics or to set things up in that way, but not to accept preconceived notions in any direction because of skin color, including about me. I also mentioned my assailant's sex. Actually, it's hard to do that in English 
it's hard to talk about people without mentioning their sex, but I doubt people would call me sexist for pointing out my assailants were male. But I'll leave that aside. And even my blue eyes and blonde hair, at least when I was little, my hair was really blonde, that didn't change that in my seven years of Jewish day school growing up, I was taught that I would have been sent to the same ovens that my grandparents' relatives were gassed in. And as someone who doesn't believe in Stone Age myths, religious stuff, as far as I can tell, I was just born this way not to believe, call it atheism if you want, but I would not call myself atheist, that forcing religion on me against my will, plenty of people call that oppression. And I've seen zero people with my religious beliefs in the White House, maybe one or two in Congress over the course of the entire nation's history, none in the Supreme Court, not many in business leadership. I don't feel I have access to becoming president, for example. I don't feel like I'm represented there at all because I can't get there. And my sexual preference, while healthy, and I'm not going to go into it, has been illegal many times in history, including at times a capital offense. People have been killed for the way that I was born. People have certainly treated me with derision for being born this way, including people in groups claiming to be the most inclusive and supportive. Living in Greenwich Village, for example, there's a parade that goes almost outside my doorstep, the Pride Parade, that celebrates nearly every preference, but not mine. It calls itself inclusive, but I don't feel particularly included in it. I could go on, but my point is not to get into details. I expect that the more I describe places I couldn't go, people I couldn't talk to, times that I was targeted, times that I was in a powerless minority, the more some of you will say, he's so out of touch, he might as well say things like, well, some of my best friends are whatever you want to accuse me of. My point is that as long as people keep asking to understand me better and where I'm coming from, to share the things I did in the last episode, if people are also going to reject my experience and my message from preconceived notions, then let's get past those notions. We've all suffered. We've all gotten lucky breaks. As far as I know, no one who suggested that I didn't understand others' challenges hadn't had their lives threatened at knife point, as I did. And the people that some said I didn't understand, at least a couple of examples so far, they loved my results. A single mom in a food desert with multiple jobs inviting me to come up there and teach people in her community more. So maybe I did understand them across race and sex lines to some extent. Obviously, I'm not them, so I don't know them perfectly. But also in that way, no one person knows any other person. I'm trying to increase that understanding. I hope by giving some depth about me beyond what you see in a picture. I do my best to assume depth in you. I hope you will with me too. You yourself probably wouldn't, but plenty of people have condescended to reject what I say for accidents of my birth that don't fit their notions anyway. And I'll tell you what we do all share. We all, every one of us, share the same air, water, and land, which we are polluting and overusing by population beyond what nature can support. The numbers that I find credible show that seven plus billion people, that Earth's regenerative ability cannot sustain that. That means that if we simply level off the population and keep it at the same level, that's going to lead to a lot of suffering and dying that if we don't lower our birth rate, nature will increase our death rate and not pleasantly with suffering and pain and disease and war and famine. Distrusting each other and misunderstanding basic natural processes, how nature works, will keep us from the most important strategies to maintain humanity. Lowering our consumption on a per capita basis, each of us, I didn't say lowering our standard of living or lowering our happiness. We can increase those while decreasing our material consumption and lowering our birth rate. When I said lowering our birth rate, if you heard eugenics, 
Nazi China one policy problems. That's not what I said. There are plenty of examples all around the world of cultures choosing voluntarily without coercion, lowering their birth rate, leading to more abundance per person, more happiness, and a more prosperous society. There are plenty more strategies and tactics, but those are the big problems that mindless distrust based on accidents of birth undermine. Again, I don't want to suggest I have all the answers or even most of them, or even that I did a particularly great job of communicating here. I hope you view it as a learning experience. If there's something that I'm missing, if there's something you can help me learn, please contact me and use this as a learning experience. I hope this message helps contribute to seeing each other as humans with rich and multifaceted selves, but common emotional systems. It feels terrible to be misunderstood and prevents cooperation. And to get through this, you know, this is the opportunity that we have. If we can get past all these mistrusts and things, all this condescension, all these preconceived notions that I don't like that I grew up, that I was born into a world so polluted and that it's gotten yet more polluted and yet more overpopulated in the time that I've been alive. But given that that's a situation, this is an opportunity if we get past all these things and treat each other as wonderful, multifaceted human beings, we have the potential to work together like never before, to all participate in something greater than any one of us, greater than all of us, benefiting all of us, benefiting each of us as individuals, and bringing our world to become more healthy, more prosperous per capita, more abundance for everyone in a peaceful way.